You're listening to Different Things Can Be Sad. Welcome to Different Things Can Be Sad, where it's cool to care about xenocracy and eczema. I'm Yasmin Lomax. And I'm Micah Hahn. And we are your hosts of this monthly politics and pop culture podcast that has, um, I guess, been on a bit of an unusual run the past few months, mm-hmm. as we have been in a very unusual world. Uh, this episode will recognize all of those things, but maybe more similar to what you would have heard us produce in yes. February 2020. Okay. Format-wise, at least. Tone-wise? Yes. Hmm. Um, so it's now July, and we're going to yes. talk about June. How was your June 2020, Micah? What happened? Um, it was more quarantine-ish. I think yeah, that, that, we're that, entering that. into a weird world where half the world is going back to normal, and it's okay. The Oh, no, it's like a third going back to normal, it's okay. A third going back to normal, and it's very much not okay. And then a third not going back to normal, as they should be. Um, and it's weird to have friends in very different places and, like, exist. Um, and, yeah, I I live in a place where we're sort of going back to normal, but doing so safely, and it's probably good that we're going back. Um, but it still feels weird. Yes, I'm a little jealous of that. I mean... Look, I'm reporting from New York, and we are a lot more on top of things than previously, and definitely more than other states, but things definitely still feel a little weird. You know, it's not as normal as what I'm looking at on people's Instagrams in Ireland or Australia, but there's some glimmers of hope, and hopefully, you know, things are being done as safe as possible. We can just keep ourselves as safe as possible. Um, I found myself a new apartment that I'm moving into soon, so I'm very excited That's about very that. That's very exciting. That was a big June uh, achievement, and very excited to move in in July. So hopefully next episode, you guys, I will have some decor updates. <laughs> uh, in an audio format, we will tell you about visual things, as we are wont to do. Yeah. Yes. Everybody loves that. I always find that really thrilling when people describe visual things in audio. Yeah, I know. It's like my favorite podcasts are like decor podcasts. Yes. Yes. They have really, really kicked off. Um, I mean, maybe we could also move into just tasting things for people as well and and just (laughs) just network. MasterChef would be pretty popular. It works really well on YouTube. So I'm sure we could do tasting podcasts. Okay, okay, we'll move into visuals after that. Yes. Test the water with some food. Mm-hmm. Um, so while you have been doing some more quarantining, have you been reading anything fun? Anything you want to tell us about? Yeah, so in our very short last podcast, we talked a little bit about engaging with content um, about the Black Lives Matter movement and more generally about like the Black experience in America. And so in this last month, I've been endeavoring to do that and what I've been reading and watching a lot. So reading, I read two books um, in that kind of vein. One is If Beale Street Could Talk by James Baldwin. And James Baldwin is a very famous and very important figure in um, African-American literature and in the civil rights movement. 
and he writes there's a movie about him um called i am not your negro four years ago three years time has no meaning um but if beale street could talk is a book about um the wrongful imprisonment of one black man and how it affects his family and the family of the girl that he loves um so on the one hand it's this beautiful and this beautifully written love story about the two of them, Tish and Fanny. Um, and on the other hand, it's this really um, poignant and topical, even now, this book is a couple decades old. It's a very mm. topical description about how Black men encounter the justice system or the so-called justice system and how that affects everyone in their lives. Um, so really wonderful book. There's an absolutely beautiful movie by Barry Jenkins, um, based on the book. Um, Barry Jenkins is the director of Moonlight, which won the Oscar that the La La Land year. Um, but If Bill Street Could Talk is an equally wonderful movie, which I had seen before I had read the book. Um, either order I think is good. Um, the other book I read is Red at the Bone by Jacqueline Woodson, and Jacqueline Woodson is a really popular um, uh, Black author who specifically writes about, mostly writes like young adult and children's fiction, but this is a book for um, older audiences. And again, this is a story, first and foremost, about a Black family over multiple generations, and it's centered around the granddaughter who was the result of a teen pregnancy. Um, and it does this really beautiful job of weaving together history in the present day in a way that demonstrates how the history um, of racism affects the daily lived experience um, of Black families and of like how Black people see themselves. Um, there's this section about the Tulsa massacre, which we've been talking a lot about recently, I think, in the popular culture, um, mm. especially with Trump's Tulsa rally. Um, the only, I really love the book. It was like quite short and like, I really, like it really sucked you in. You could sit down and read it in an afternoon. Um, cause the story was just so beautiful and the writing was so great. Um, the only thing I didn't totally love is there's a very subtle 9-11 thing in there, which like that drives the plot a little bit. And I think we talked about this with, what was that book called? Um, you know what? There's not even a specific one. It's come up so many times, many times. that a book has used 9-11 as a And it's just strange. I don't understand yeah. it. Still would highly recommend the book. It's I think it just came out last year or at the beginning of this year. And it's really popular. You can get it at your local independently owned bookstore. Um, if you can get copies. Because you can get bo- yeah. copies of any like books by famous Black authors right now. Um, which is awesome but like annoying for those of us who want to read them. What about you? (laughs) Yes, there's a lot of uh, backbordering going on. I have noticed that in my own procurement of of these books. Uh, I guess a good example is that one I read this month is Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reid, which is one that I actually have been looking for for ages. It's sort of a bit like normal people and like trick mirror in that, it's one that you just see people reading all the time, especially women in their 20s. They're reading it en masse, and it seems like a very popular book of that age group. Uh, I actually 
didn't know that it focused on race when I reserved it at my local library, actually, uh, many, many months ago. So reading it now feels very timely. But if you don't know, like I did not, uh, the book is, and I will, I'll, I'll read the, the Goodreads description so that you can get a little idea of what it's about. So in the midst of a family crisis one late evening, white blogger Alix Chamberlain calls her African-American babysitter Amira, asking her to take toddler Briar to the local market for distraction. There, the security guard accuses Amira of kidnapping Briar, and Alix's efforts to right the situation turn out to be good intentions selfishly mismanaged. Very good description of it. Mm -hmm. um, I think there, there's a moment in the book where Amira reflects that this incident, the one that propels the whole plot, um, you know, in the context of the Black Lives Matter movement, is one of the more digestible incidents in that you know, somebody could watch a video of it. I, I'm quoting the book loosely here, but that they could watch a video and it not ruin their day. Um, yeah, definitely more digestible than some of the, the more violent things we see, but obviously an, in, an instance of racism. And I just found it very, very masterful that Kylie Reed was able to really pull that comparatively small incident apart slowly to create a story that is so addictive and interesting and layered uh every every person involved has a lot of depth and uh a lot of I guess parts to play in how the story unfolds so thoroughly recommend that one again you will might need to wait a little bit to order it it's, <laughs> it's very very popular uh I also ordered uh the book the opposite of always by justin a reynolds and there's sort of been this take that while we're all reading these educational books about race that we should also make an effort to read books by black authors about black people enjoying life and having the fun experiences that characters or that white characters get to have in books um you know, we could, in terms of movies, uh, focusing on the Asian American experience, we sort of got to see that in uh, the To All the Boys series, which, mm -hmm. which we loved. And, you know, well, probably the movies are a little bit more popular, but great to see these non-white characters get to enjoy the things that white characters do without their story having to focus on teaching or explaining or pain or trauma. Mm -hmm. So that's what really motivated to order this book and it's a YA one I got it from a store called the lit bar which is a black owned bookstore in the Bronx and because it's closed due to COVID I was able to purchase it through bookshop.org which is a website we have spoken about on here before it's a great way to buy books online because the website helps to support independent bookstores and book bloggers so would definitely recommend that I'm also gonna recommend the book because it was a lot of fun uh mm -hmm. it's sort of a groundhog style day book about a teenager named Jack who meets a girl named Kate at a party and he immediately starts falling for her and they have this very cutesy romance until she dies and then he experiences a fall that propels him back to the day they met and this keeps happening over and over again um, and he's on this mission to save her. So mm. yeah, a little bit like the Bill Murray day, very fun and very witty. It has this sort of, um, you know, the sharp 
sassy kind of dialogue of the teenagers in John Green novels, let's say. Mm-hmm. So really smart, much smarter than I am. Uh, and they're 17. So I would like to do these kids one day, but we'll definitely recommend that. Have you watched things? Yeah, I actually, um, somehow, um, we watched, we, the royal we, um, watched uh, many Spike <laughs> Lee movies this month, um, which was great. Um, so the first movie was The Five Bloods, which um, just came out very in a very timely manner at the beginning of June. Um, and it's about um, five veterans of the Vietnam War going back to Vietnam to bring back the body of one of their friends as well as this gold that they kind of reappropriated from the U.S. government in what they call reparations. Um, one of the um, four soldiers is a Trump supporter. Um, all the soldiers are black. And it's very much about how, um, one, how the U.S., like the U.S.'s history in the Vietnam War, but also about how that history is intertwined with the civil rights movement at the same time and, like, mm. the role of Black men in this this war that became so completely controversial um, and, like, mostly opposed by the end of it. Um, really interesting movie very um gory at times that's a trigger warning for you um they encounter some some undetonated bombs in vietnam so just there you have that um Uh, it was a really interesting movie i don't think it's for everyone i think just like some of it doesn't translate really well from like like you can tell what they were trying to he was trying to do but I really liked the, like, ideas behind it. And I thought it was, like, an interesting... It, like, I learned a lot about the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. And, like, this, like, specific positioning of the people who you don't normally think about. So, like, the Vietnamese people themselves and the soldiers who are foot soldiers. So, we started with um, The Five Bloods and then watched Do the Right Thing, which is one of Spike Lee's most famous movies. And he... Um, like quotes it at the end of his speech when he won an Oscar for Black Klansmen. Um, and it takes place on one hot summer day in Brooklyn and centers around the racial politics of an Italian-owned pizza shop in a predominantly Black neighborhood. Um, and um, in some ways, the movie is kind of like short vignettes about the different people there, but it's also like one cohesive story about um, what begins as protesting the pizza place because it doesn't have any black people on its wall of fame um, to a like protest and um, the, I don't know, do you want spoilers? Spoilers for do the right thing. Um, At the end, um, at the end, um, the police kill one of the protesters. And so watching it like in the midst of the protests that we've been seeing in the last, um, Months, especially at the beginning of June, um, when they were um, much more violent confrontations with police, um, it was kind of because of the movie. It, it it's so of its time, which is not now, and yet so entirely and completely relevant because, mm-hmm. like, so many things are just constantly repeating themselves. So, 
Yeah. Very good movie. Um, would highly recommend. The final Spike Lee movie in our trilogy of Spike Lee movies was Malcolm X, which is a like <laughs> incredibly long biopic about Malcolm X. Um, like I think very heavily based on the book um, or autobiography of Malcolm X um, that came out right after his death. Um, and it has, I learned, been a bestseller ever since, which is wild. Um, wow. And yeah. Um, it's a it's an awesome movie, incredibly long. Um, it's What's really cool is if you, like, know the, like, imagery of Malcolm X, like the famous pictures and stuff, you can see them in the shots of the movie, which is super cool. Um, oh, cool. And, yeah. Um, and, like, if you don't know the history, I would have your phone close to you to, like, do some Googling um, if you're confused. Right. Um, um, but I think it – having, like, then gone and, like, done a bunch of reading after watching the movie, I think it's a great, like, way to kind of introduce you to who Malcolm X was as a person, but also his um, – right. what he believed in. Um, so would recommend – what about you? What have you been watching? I watched uh, the documentary 13th by Ava DuVernay. Uh, it's on Netflix. And it is a documentary that examines the intersection of race and mass incarceration. I think I know a lot of people I know have already seen it, but mm-hmm. I watched it this month and I learned a lot. I was completely blown away by some of the policies and personal stories discussed here. And I've had some really interesting and productive conversations with family members after watching it. I think it's a really good place to go for um, facts, actual facts that will, uh, I think, really educate, inform, change people's minds, as well as those kind of heartstring tugging stories that are also important. I think it's it's super well-rounded, super informative, and super timely. So it's been recommended to me by a lot of people, and I'm going to pass that recommendation onwards 13th on netflix couldn't be easier to get your hands on them have you listened to things this month you've been been reading and watching a lot yeah so i wasn't i know in our last podcast we recommended a bunch of podcasts and i haven't been able to listen to as many podcasts as i wanted to as i have been reading and watching a huge amount which has been fantastic i miss reading so much um and like the books I recommended are like such wonderful books to read. Um, so yes, no, on our theme of Black Lives Matter inspired listenings, have I listened to anything? Um, maybe next month we'll talk about the new music that we have listened to. Yes, we will hit you up on that next month then, Micah. Um, I can I can provide some tips. I listened to 1619, which was uh, the New York Times podcast that we recommended in the show notes of our last episode. It is a series of six fantastically educational episodes covering a lot of different angles about um, Black history and the Black experience in uh, particularly the U.S. I really like uh, the episode called The Birth of American Music. I think if you are a fan of, I mean, as, as like a rock fan, I was re- really shocked by how much... Uh, popular music and particularly rock has been influenced by not just influenced started by by uh 
black people. So I would definitely recommend that episode. Look at them all. They're not that long. I'm going to them. But as a music fan, the Breath of American Music was really great. And I also listened to the podcast Code Switch, which was the NPR one that we recommended. Mm-hmm. And that comes out, I believe, twice a week. So when I was doing a lot of cycling earlier this month to go view apartments, this was um, one that I listened to a lot. It has produced a lot of really great uh, pandemic content um, discussing people's different experiences during this strange time. I really enjoyed an episode that came out earlier this year called Beautiful Lies, which is about the standards of beauty in our society and how racism has influenced these. So give that one a listen as well. I think it's a great introduction point for the series. And um, if you are looking for something a little bit different, I really like Phoebe Bridger's new album, Punisher. So would also suggest you give that a listen. Um, It's got a lot more diversity on it, I think, than her first album. There's the, a lot of the songs feel very different. They're very distinguishable from one another. There's some super sad ones, some more happy ones. Uh, lyrically, just very sharp and very clever as usual and really, really well produced. So I would love if you could listen to that and then tell me what were your favorite tracks on Okay, this month in politics, um, with coronavirus and um, Black Lives Matter dominating the news cycles for the last few months, um, other stories have been kind of falling through the cracks um, and getting less coverage. And um, they probably would have in normal times, whatever that means. Um, so this month, I thought it would be really interesting to look back at previous stories that we've covered on the podcast and provide some updates on what has happened. Um, just so that these kind of very important stories don't get entirely lost. Not that the stories that are being covered right now aren't important. Um, The world is full of, in this case, corruption and racism, Um, which is sad. And different things can be sad. Yes. This is just what our podcast is about. So, in... Mm -hmm. I don't know what time of year it is in February, I guess. Um, Who knows? Um, We talked about the Wet'suwet'en protests, which if you didn't listen to that episode or you forgot, um, are the protests that are happening and or did happen in British Columbia, Canada, about a pipeline that was going through unceded indigenous land without the consent of the people who were living there. Um, And so... Um, they were. This was the biggest news story in Canada, and is kind of ironic now because they like shut down, um, like some trains, and like that seemed like a big deal at the time that like certain trains couldn't hmm. make it across Canada, and now look at the world we live in. Anyways, um, the world yeah. has changed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the protesters had to stop protesting because they wanted to comply with social distancing and um, the lockdowns that were in place. Um, however, while they stopped um, protesting, construction on the pipeline continued and the RCMP, aka the police, um, continued to surveil the site and the community and have reportedly weren't social distancing at all. And this becomes um, more dangerous in general because the um, healthcare systems in this indigenous community, but other also other indigenous communities in BC um, are not as good and they have statistically worth, worse health outcomes than white Canadians. And so 
getting if a indigenous community were to get coronavirus, it would be really bad. And it is currently the case um, that um, in Canada, some of the worst outbreaks are on reserves, but this is especially the case in like Arizona where the Navajo nation is getting hit incredibly bad. Um, so we see this kind of connection between all indigenous groups. Um, and yeah, so RCMP wasn't actually doing social distancing despite the protests being over. Um, in general, coronavirus was bad news for protesters. Um, the premier of BC, who's like the governor, um, had really bad ratings during the protests because he didn't support them. But since um, how well the government has dealt with coronavirus, his approval ratings have gone up. And so people aren't as focused on the protests, which I guess makes sense because the pandemic has kind of um, consumed people's thoughts and lives. Um, the other thing that happened was the Alberta um, minister, this is the minister, this is the province beside BC, um, Sonia Savage. Um, she commented that or the pandemic is a perfect time to push through pipelines because social distancing rules means that people can't protest. Ooh. And so it's the optimum time oh, oh. to do all these things. Um, so the protests haven't been, uh, the pandemic hasn't been great for the protesters. Um, but there have been other developments. So in, um, early March, the Canadian government, the British Columbia government and the Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs came together to start, um, creating a deal about the pipeline, um, but also about governance over, um, the Wet'suwet'en peoples in the area. So if you remember from our last episode, we talked about the difference between hereditary chiefs and elective representatives. And there's, so there's an entire political system that was set up by the Canadian federal government, which many indigenous peoples believe to be a colonial system because it wasn't chosen by them, but was imposed. And so they have the system of hereditary chiefs, which many indigenous peoples believe to be much more legitimate. Um, and that's who should be representing them. So in May, the hereditary chiefs came and re reached a deal with the provincial and the federal government, which gave them much more rights over their land. So they were given rights to negotiate over future deals. Um, they were also given certain jurisdictions over planning, resources, water, wildlife, fish and fish and then also child and family wellness you know child and family wellness is a huge deal because um the federal government usually has control over that and there's a huge history and current day problem of the federal government taking children from indigenous families um there are more indigenous children in child care in the child care system now than there were in um residential schools, which was when they were taken and put in Catholic schools away from their families. Um, so the fact that the Wet'suwet'en people get to decide what happens to their children is a huge deal. And there's only one other Indigenous group in BC that gets mm -hmm. to do that. Um, the one problem is that this doesn't actually affect the pipeline at all, because it's about future deals, um, which is unfortunate. The other thing is that there's some controversy about whether this deal is legitimate because the elected leaders weren't able to participate and other members weren't able to participate because of coronavirus. And so it all happened over Zoom, which meant that the traditional way of um, debate and coming to joint um, 
decisions wasn't able to happen. And so the deal is kind of iffy. Um, In June, there were also some updates, including the fact that um, there's an increased militarized police presence at the pipeline. Um, and they're escorting workers to their job site. Um, there was pictures that came up of the like very heavily armed RCMP around a smokehouse, which is a traditional indigenous building um, that had been built like on the pipeline in like early spring. And people were very concerned as to why they needed so many guns when there weren't actually any protesters. Um, and positive news, though, is that a bunch of the protesters who were arrested in February had their charges dropped against them, so they won't be going to jail for protesting, which um, is a bare minimum of success. Um, yeah. So I would definitely keep an eye on what's happening with the Wet'suwet'en pipeline and protests, because as soon as social distancing ends, I foresee protesting starting again, hopefully. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. uh, that's the what's what. Um, the other story that I wanted to mm-hmm. think about and come back to was the Hong Kong protests. Um, so we talked mm-hmm. about those way back in September. Um, and which feels like, again, forever ago. Um, <laughs> wild. A lifetime ago. Uh, exactly. Um, so in the fall, um, the Hong Kong people were protesting against the increasing power of the Chinese government because currently um, there's this idea of one country, two systems. So they're all under one country, but the Chinese government and the Hong Kong government have different systems of governance. Um, but during late May, both the Chinese and the Hong Kong government took further steps to limit democracy in Hong Kong um, and started passing on these bills to like diminish the threat or to tackle terrorism, um, supposed terrorism, really that's code for protesting. Um, So we've seen on May 27th, there were more protests. So this is in the middle of the pandemic, though Hong Kong did, I think, better at controlling the pandemic. So it wasn't as dire. And then also we've seen that protesting isn't actually that bad for spreading if you're wearing masks. so mm-hmm. um, this meant that certain political things had to change. So the U.S. started to consider revoking Hong Kong's special status so that it gave them certain um, treaties that they wouldn't give the Chinese. And now they're saying that, well, Hong Kong and China, if they're the same system, then why would we want to um, give them any special treatment? Um, this meant should have pissed off China a little bit, and it did, but that didn't actually change all that much because at the beginning of July, the final security law was passed, um, making it so that Hong Kong citizens can be arrested and jailed without trial um, for speaking out against the Chinese government or for many other anti-Chinese actions. Um, So now countries around the world are considering pulling treaties they have with Hong Kong cutting off ties with Hong Kong as a special state. Um, The reporting coming out of Hong Kong at the beginning of July um, says that Hong Kong seems like a very different place, like overnight. Like, people have taken down their protest signs. People are very concerned about what they're, like, 
telling their children that they can do because no one wants to go to jail. Um, so unfortunately, that isn't great. So we might actually see like a surge of um, the wealthy people in Hong Kong trying to leave as they did in the 90s, um, which could lead to some interesting political consequences. And especially must be very difficult given coronavirus at this current moment. Um, so yeah, unfortunately yeah, I don't have happy updates. I know. Um, but that is politics for this month. Um, yeah. There are some things Maybe. we need to keep an eye on. Wow. Thank you, Micah, yeah. for, for that. Maybe, uh, next month, a happy politics story. I'll try and, uh, and oh, we can only So on to the pop culture segment of the podcast. Um, I know we have been trying to, you know, avoid discussing coronavirus head on here, but there's no denying the world has been an unbelievably strange place these past few months. And celebrities have responded to this unusual season of our lives (laughs) in, frankly, bizarre ways. There have been some individual instances of tone-deaf displays of privilege, so you might remember in the early days of this, uh, when Vanessa Hudgens did an Instagram Live and brushed off that people are going to die as inevitable. Very strange. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was when Ellen DeGeneres compared being in quarantine in jail when her mansion is obviously very different to a prison. But I thought today we would take a deep dive into some of the most famous instances of celebrity ridiculousness. Uh, Three in particular where celebrities have banded together, uh, sometimes for good, mostly very bad. So let's let's dive right into it. The first uh, instance, I feel like I said instance so many times. What's the word (laughs) for incident, moment, example? The first example. example of celebrity ridiculousness uh, was the Imagine video that you may remember from mm. the early days of the pandemic. It's probably the first and most awful incident incident of celebrities responding to a global crisis in a very terrible way. If you somehow missed it, uh, number one, lucky you, but number two, <laughs> here's what it's about. It is essentially a video organized by Gal Gadot, uh, who is an actress, of a bunch of celebrities singing along to John Lennon's song, Imagine. So they would each sing a little line, and it would all be sewn together. Uh, Everyone freaking hated it. Everyone hated it. For the following reasons. Uh, Number one, already the song is very, very sweet. It's very sugary. It's a little idealistic and frankly kind of annoying so their earnestness with which they sing this is even more embarrassing and cringy i think number two is that it's not just the weird annoying celebrities it's like the cool ones as well got involved in this we had maya rudolph and amy adams zoe kravitz natalie portman chris o'dowd genuinely cool people who really should have done better than to join such a cringy concept Um, And then number three, and I think the one that really got to people, is that we don't live in this idealized world that they're imagining. They're millionaires, and it's ridiculous to suggest that the whole world is experiencing a pandemic in the same way. We've got um, people who 
are having to return to work when they're not safe, are having to access food banks, are um, literally dying, and them singing a in a cringy fashion in a mansion really doesn't do anything, and it's actually quite offensive to suggest that it does. So that one really freaking sucked. Everyone was not a fan of that. Uh, big meme. Very embarrassing. At least we all got a laugh out of it. Maybe that's what they were trying to unite us in that we would uh, turn on them. But... <laughs> The next one I wanted to talk about was the I Take Responsibility video, which is a more recent one. Uh, this video came after the murder of George Floyd and the protests that erupted across the world in light of that. And it was a bit like Imagine in that it was these little clips of celebrities stitched together. And each of their clips, the celebrity is saying, I take responsibility, and then followed by a time where they may have messed up. So when they let a joke go unchecked or they didn't stand up for someone and this video included celebrities like Kesha, Julianne Moore, Alana Glazer, Aaron Paul, Justin Theroux and it was supposed to acknowledge white privilege as a way, a way to acknowledge white privilege but again just got completely ripped apart on Twitter. I think again a few reasons. Number one it made all the same mistakes as the Imagine video. It was cringy it was overly sincere and this time it even had a really silly black and white filter on it that made it look like it was a 13 year old on myspace in 2005 it was, it was bad just weird yeah number two is that it felt performative and self-centered in a time where people needed to actually act in useful ways and to not center a discussion about race on rich white celebrities or as themselves, um, I think a lot of people were sort of like, could you just donate money? You know, this this is ridiculous to make you want to go viral when there's a lot of other things that could right now. I get that the intentions were in the good place and they're trying to raise awareness to uh, white privilege. And obviously I and we are not the best people to speak on this, but there has been this discussion that people are sort of trying to go with these easy fix tip of the iceberg things that are not murders by police like that's what started all this and obviously it's necessary to um address the smaller i guess incidents that can lead up to something like that but there has been this idea that it detracts or that it uh takes up people's time you know it's this idea of them showcasing their guilt when really the discussion could be swayed in a much more useful direction or that it's this need for white people to come out as good all the time and to show that they're one of the good guys when that is not what this is about. It's about addressing actual inequalities, not making yourself or absolving yourself of blame. So mm -hmm. a lot of people had problems with that. Um, I think something that I found quite interesting about it was that it underlined how the world seems to be reconsidering the idea of celebrities. So mm -hmm. two of the people in the video have had quite interesting quarantine experiences. So number one, Kristen Bell, who you would know as America's sweetheart. She's great on these bitey shows like Veronica Mars and The Good Place. And she's one of the stars of Frozen, which every child in the world loves and will annoy their parents by playing Let It Go on a recorder. 
But, you know, she has this cute relationship with Dak Shepard as well. Everyone really likes her. She has not had a great quarantine period. There's this video um, around the same time she came out with a children's book called The World Needs More Purple People, which I don't know a lot about, but it has drawn some criticism for seeming like it takes a kind of colorblind approach to interacting with people when that is not what the Black community by and large wants. It is to have differences um, actually recognized and celebrated and understood. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also it turned out that her and Dak Shepard are landlords, which uh, people were already kind of not re- really into. And then especially not right now when people are facing evictions and can't pay their rents. And it turns out they're paying their rent to millionaires. It's uh, a, a little hard to swallow. So not a great quarantine for Kristen Bell. Mm-mm. So, you know, that's kind of this classic we don't need celebrities now thing. Um, what I found interesting was the inclusion of Stanley Tucci, who was already a very, you know, well-loved character in our lives, but he was held up as a sort of quarantine fave, even when celebrity culture was failing. Um, he kind of broke the internet by making a cocktail at home with some very impressive arms. And <laughs> everybody was like, okay, well, celebrity Stanley Tucci's cool. Like, we like him. And then he was in this video. So you know what? They're all fallible. And I think that's a very interesting concept right now. Um, In a more positive note, very recently, there has been the hashtag wear a damn mask challenge. And this is one of the celebrity um, actions that I think is actually really good. So this one is a trend that sees celebrities post a picture of themselves wearing a mask and tag their friends to do the same thing. So wear a mask out and about and post a picture of it. And this sort of recognizes their position as influential figures um, as a way to normalize and encourage mask wearing. And, you know, we know that masks are a way to help prevent the spread of COVID. And especially now in the U.S. where we're seeing cases surge again in certain states, even though things are reopening, uh, it's always good to, yeah, normalize and encourage that behavior. So I think this is... I mean, one, you've got some big name celebrities involved in, in this one. I would say maybe arguably more so than the other ones. You have Jennifer Aniston, Mindy Kaling, Reese Witherspoon. It's very sort of impromptu and organic. It has, you know, just somebody posting on Instagram rather than people all working behind the scenes thinking they're doing a really great job and then giving us something that sucks. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you'd kind of wish somebody in one of those other videos along the way have been like this is kind of weird why are we doing this but you know this is a little bit more natural and also like it's asking for action you know it's not just being so indulgent as to believe that you singing badly will actually help people during a pandemic or that you making a confession not even a confession like a a very vague admission about past behavior is is going to paint you as one of the good guys when we're in a pretty painful time. It's also not asking for money, which is good. That always kind of irks me when celebrities ask for like their followers to donate money. Like, guys, you have the money. What? what? Um, this is a case of using influence well and for good. As I said previously, it's recognizing that People do want to mimic celebrity behavior, so let's let's get them to mimic a good one. I really liked, even before this, when Britney Spears went to the beach and 
posted a selfie of her wearing a mask and somebody was like, there's no one around you, Brittany. You don't have to wear the mask. And she was like, well, I'm, you know, I'm trying to be a good example of people see me wearing a mask. Maybe they'll do one too. And, you know, who knew Britney Spears? Maybe <laughs> she's the quarantine hero we need. She really but is. She has already been so fallible. Yes. Yeah. Um, but not think- only is Britney wearing a mask, she's also a comrade. So we love Britney Spears. She's she's fine. Remember, she thought she outran Usain Bolt. That was a good laugh. Like, you know, um, I think people like, there's there's been some good celebrities on Instagram. I think it's the ones that don't try and be too earnest and sincere and actually recognize that they have privilege. Like Cardi B is pretty funny on Instagram. Like she'll kind of have a laugh, but actually do things offline, like donate money or get involved politically and just recognizes that Instagram is a place to post a funny video of your celebrity, not complain about how hard your life is or mm-hmm. show it off too much, you know? Um I guess the bottom line of this segment is that celebrity culture may well be crumbling. And I will link to a New York Times article and a Vox article that talks about this uh, demise. I think, you know, it's obviously a result of the panic, but it's kind of their own fault for acting sometimes good, but mainly ridiculously right now. Uh, Definitely a case of please read the room. And I think it'll be interesting to see what that is like hopefully when this is over when this is finally over <laughs> what what celebrity culture will be like who knows Alrighty then that is us for another episode of different things can be sad um kind of nice to to go to our original format obviously mm-hmm. we are not going to ignore things in the world but um, I hope this return to format has been nice for y'all. Um, Micah, what is your plans for July? It would also be nice. Like, I'm looking forward to get to the day where we can tell each other interesting plans that we have that don't involve being indoors. But yeah, what are you up to for July? Um, the plan is to hopefully enjoy some sunshine. It's been very rainy here and sad. Um, so I'd like to enjoy some real summer. Um in a safe distance from other people. Um, yes. Girl. Yes. Um, that's about it. Working, chilling, reading, watching, listening. Politics and pop culture. You're going to do all, all our stuff together. Yes. Love that. You have a bit more interesting, uh, July. Yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like mine's pretty similar. I... I'm moving. I mentioned that. I will be moving into my new apartment. So prepare for your decor drop in (laughs) (laughs) That'll be my big excitement. I'm looking forward to it. It'll be good. Um, But yeah, we'll have to test out the acoustics in the new place then. So I look forward to speaking to you then. If you guys would like to um, reach out or see what we're up to or just engage, I think um, our our um instagram at dtcbs podcast is a great place to go mm-hmm. would recommend anyway catch y'all in about a month bye bye